Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and I'm joined by a distinguished guest we've had before on this podcast. And welcome back to the digital podcast studio, Lance Ward. Lance, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's great to be a distinguished guest. Yes, I think in the past we've talked about a couple of different topics, but uh, this morning we're going to talk about something that is your forte, but also something that God has really just formed you uh, in a unique part of your ministry to serve people in some of the toughest moments. And I think as people listen to our conversation today, some of the most formative faith moments. Uh, I thought about originally titling this podcast after how many funerals you've done. And I don't know that either you or I know how many that is, but how many funerals do you think you've been a part of over the years? I don't know. I've been in ministry now, full-time ministry for 22 years. I would say it's in the hundreds, but I don't know. I would say somewhere between maybe three and 400, maybe, maybe more. Been a lot. And it, it wasn't anything I aspired to when I was in seminary or I'd started my pastorate. Uh, but of course, now I'm in uh, Crossings Community Church, which is a large church. And one example is this year we are averaging one funeral per week, and that's usually split between me and one other guy for the most part. So it's been an awful lot. Yeah. Well, as um, you mentioned that, I don't think anybody probably in seminary thinks, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's not like medical school where you pick a specialty and you <laughs> gravitate towards one thing or another. It's something that kind of comes with being in pastoral ministry, but for you now, it's a central part, not the only thing, obviously. Uh, congregational care is broader than just funerals, but a major emphasis in your ministry. And I think when most people think about funerals, care for those who are sick and dying, there's a desire to walk with people, especially if you've been in a situation like that. You know how powerful it is when somebody is there for you and supporting you. But maybe a little bit more nervous apprehension than anything on what that would look like in practice. How did you get to the point where you realized this was something that God was calling you to gifting you for uh, opening the door for you to do? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I started my senior pastorate in 2000, I was 33 years old and within my first month and a half, there were there was a couple that each died 16 days apart. So within my first month or so, I had two funerals in a small church, a church of about 150. Uh, after then, I there were only a handful that I conducted through the years, maybe 10 to 15 through that eight years or so. Um, but it was interesting. I kind of just had to learn. And we had a seminary class called Leading and Managing the Church at Dallas Seminary. And one, for one class, we actually took a bus to a funeral home and sat down and heard all we could about funerals in one hour. That was about the only education I had gotten, just a one hour little shot here. So I was, I didn't really know what to do. I just kind of learned a lot by accident. In fact, the those first two funerals, we went to a graveside and I still remember the first of those two gravesides and I'm standing in the wrong place. Uh, you're supposed to stand at the head of the casket. I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. So the funeral director comes up behind me, grabs me by both shoulders like I'm a four-year-old, and just <laughs> starts moving me. And so that's how it started. Well, then I became a hospice chaplain, so I was doing even more. And then I came to crossings where it's a it's almost one a week, one every two weeks on average. And I've learned a lot in the process. I, I've learned... First of all, the funerals are one of my greatest ministry joys. Uh, I love weddings, but I think I would rather officiate a funeral than a wedding, even though a wedding is a much more joyful experience. Uh, I joke with people, I say at a wedding, sometimes everybody's crossing their fingers. At a funeral, you know how it ends. But uh, mm -hmm. so it's it's just uh, you kind of know where this has gone. You get to sit down with a family. Um, you get to hear them talk about their loved one, which is good for them more than it is for me as I prepare but yeah, I, I actually got into this almost by accident. And then through the years, I've found that this is really one of my greatest ministry joys. Mm -hmm. um, and one of, the thing, one of the things I know that we will discuss here in a moment is the thing, though, that I, I'm learning over the years is how important it is for someone to somehow pre-plan their service, not pre-plan the funeral home and all that. That's important, too. But it's really important for someone to actually communicate to their family, hey, this is how I want things to go. Uh, so I, 
you may have another question, but I want to talk about that in a minute about why that's important and how that is best done. Well, this is something, one of a lot of things that I had never thought about until I started learning from you at Crossings, how to walk with people in tough times. And like you, if I think back to my seminary, I don't think, I know we didn't go anywhere. I know we didn't do a field trip uh, to do funeral preparation. I don't think we even talked about it in seminary. I think, uh, you know, my first experience with that was looking through some of those pastoral resource books that'll give you a sample wedding, a sample funeral, uh, a sample graveside and thinking, oh, this is something that I really will have to do at some point. But of course, coming into a place like Crossings, where I was doing an isolated stage of life ministry, when I started there doing college ministry, um, you know, I was fortunate to be surrounded by other pastors who had experience and who were going to be there to coach me through uh, opportunities I might have to step into with a funeral. And so getting to Crossings, learning from you, it opened my eyes to a lot of things that go into this process that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And probably the top of that list would be this point of why would it be wise for someone to plan their own funeral or even talk about their funeral? I mean, most families, you wouldn't even talk about somebody's funeral because it's too morbid a conversation to have. You kind of think it's going to be something that uh, maybe doesn't set the family up for success or something that really isn't a service to the family. But your point is, having walked through this a lot, it really is a service to your family. So why why is it good to have that conversation beforehand? Yeah, and, and you 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 speak rightly. For some reason, there's a fear of doing that, as if that's going to hasten your death or something. I'm not sure <laughs> why it is, but it's like this is the one thing you can count on. You are going to die, and so. But I, I feel sometimes like a life insurance salesman. No one wants to listen to you until the time they need it, you know? So I I get that people aren't really thinking about that much, but let me give you two reasons why I think it's important. And when I say plan your funeral, what I mean is get out a sheet of paper and write down just a few things. It's not a big deal. It doesn't have to be notarized or witnessed or anything like that. But the first thing is it's a love for your family. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I sit down with a family and I say to them, well, what songs did your loved one like? And they're like, ah, you know, I don't know. And um, how about Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art? I don't know why, but those those <laughs> often come up. It's like those have got to be the to top two. Yeah, and and there's nothing wrong with singing familiar hymns, but it's interesting how families say, "I don't, I don't have any idea." I mean, you know, Grandpa went to church all his life, but I don't know. Well, did Grandpa, or Grandma, or Dad, or Mom did they have any favorite scriptures? Oh man, I, I don't know. Uh, so. What's really neat when this happens is to go into a family and say, guess what I've got in my office? Your dad was so kind that he turned in a sheet of paper to me a few years ago, and I've got a file folder, and here he tells exactly what he wants. He knows what songs he wants. He knows he's got a couple of friends he's asked to speak. He uh, he wanted this pastor to preside, if possible. And then what we can do in that family meeting is just talk about the lo- their loved one. Because he's already told them, I had a guy last year that even wrote his sermon, which was great because he he was really strong about presenting the gospel, the good news and the bad news. And, and, and you know, it was pretty direct. So it was great for me just to go, hey, I'm not saying this. He is. This is what he wanted you to hear. So he mm-hmm. went as far as saying, this is what, exactly what I want people to hear. And I've done that with my wife, Jenny, where I've said, not so much, here's the message. But I, I mean, I've said something to her in mind, which I need to go back and I've got to re- redo a couple of things, but I've said to her, I've said, if you've got a pastor that's not going to preach the gospel and tell everyone there that I was a sinner in need of grace, then find another pastor because mm. that's the message I want people to hear. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and the other thing that I've thought about recently, Cole, is that, let me give you an example. When John Lennon died back in 1980, he had just cut an album. Most of the singles had not been released. And so over the next few months, you started hearing these singles that he had recorded when he was still alive. And it was as if John Lennon was still singing from the grave. It's as if Mm. we had something. And so none of us are John Lennon. Most of us, you know, maybe a hundred people will come to our service. There won't be a lot. But I've thought about, you know, my funeral service is going to be my final sermon to the world. Not a sermon I preach per se, but I want to shape my service so that what mattered most to me is what's going to be sung, what's going to be said. And so 
I, you know, so the question I have for people, will your last word to the world be, I did it my way, which is a popular requested song, which is interesting in a church because that's exactly the opposite of the gospel. But mm-hmm. will your final word be, I did it my way, or will it be in Christ alone, my hope is found all other ground or what that's I'm mixing the hymns here. All other ground is sinking sand. Mm-hmm. Will that be my final word? And I have some say over that. And there's a secondary effect, I think, to this, Cole, is that when we start planning our funeral and saying, here's what I want people to know, it also causes us to reflect and say, but will this be consistent with what my life really is? If I want people to hear about Christ and the gospel, will they come and say, but that's not what I saw him living? So it all it, it's a great reflective exercise uh, to say, here's what I want to be remembered for. Um, so when I sit with families and they're planning the service, here's another thing called that I want to be sure that doesn't happen at mine. Uh, I will sit with families that have been church families. And I, I have some wonderful stories of people's faith in Christ. And you hear stuff and you're like, man, I never knew this person did this. Then there's, there's usually a meeting every now and then from a person that's been in church for decades. And Jesus is not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. There's no faith in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have faith in Christ, but I think, man, I do not want that to be true of me. I'll, when my family sits down and talks with that pastor, they may talk about a lot of different things. Uh, he had a great sense of humor. He he was he wore Crocs and he was proud of it, you know, all this kind of corny <laughs> stuff. But hopefully they're also going to say, man, let me tell you something about what Lance loved more than anything else. And, and your family, I hope it says, too, I, I've got to tell you that Cole's primary passion was the gospel. He would want everyone in that room to hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to hear at the same time, hey, I'm a guy that really needed Jesus. You know, I hear people say, you know, they never raised your voice and they never yelled at their kids. I hear that a lot. I'm like, yeah, well, I raised my voice. I sometimes raise my voice to my kids. I sometimes said bad things about people. Yeah, I'm not that guy, but I am mm-hmm. the guy that Jesus rescued. Uh, so, you know, that's the legacy I want to leave. Uh, so, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, finally, I think one reason people don't think about playing their services is we just, we live in a culture that we just don't see a lot of death. We don't live on the farm. We don't see uh, animals die. Uh, back back in the day that we're, you know, this is interesting, you know, you back in the days like the Waltons where grandma and grandpa lived with you, if grandma died, it would not be unusual to dress her up and and lay her out. In the, in the living room or the kitchen table and the neighbors would come by and pay their last respects. Now to you and me, that sounds creepy, mm-hmm. but they just, they knew this would happen. And it, and it didn't seem creepy at all to them because death was so much around them. And we just don't see a lot. We're, and, and I don't think that's necessarily bad, but we just live in a culture where you may never see death your entire life until you mm-hmm. go to the funeral of somebody very close to you. Uh, so we just don't think about it. Yeah, I think that separation from actually having to be face to face with death is good in the sense that, uh, I mean, I think overall, when we talk about life expectancy and um, just the ability to get good medical care, which sometimes requires having people in facilities where you're not as face to face with that is an overall good. I think on the flip side, though, not being confronted with the inevitability of death um, as frequently is something that maybe causes us to live a little bit in a dream world. And so when death does occur, and I've noticed this in my own life, because when you have to be the person that walks into the room uh, with people who have a, a loved one who's just passed away, there is that kind of, you know, creepy feeling like this is something totally out of the ordinary. Of course, it's out of the ordinary for this group of people, but in the history of the world, you know, death is the constant. And as Christians, especially, we more than anyone know that we know what death is from. We know uh, the death is going to be overcome, has been overcome by Christ. And yet we still don't ever really have a sense of getting used to death. Why, why do you think that is? And how have you tried to walk with people in those moments of shock around death? You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I don't know that I talk about it much, but I, you know, one of the things that, and then most of us as pastors are trained well in this, that you almost have to have a theology of the reality of death. And 
um, when you talk about death and grief, here's another example of where, where this I hear this. Someone might say, I don't want anyone to be sad at this funeral, or I just want this to be a celebration. And those are immoral things. But the reality is, if this person was a person that's going to be missed, people are going to be sad. There mm -hmm. is going to be a celebration, but there's also going to be an elephant in the room that we really need to talk about. And that's the fact that this person has died, that right. they may be with Jesus, but they still will never walk this earth again until the earth, the new heavens, the new earth. They will never walk on this earth again. They will not walk in that door. Um, and I think, so, you know, when I meet with a family, what I want to do is talk about their loved one. And, one, and the last question I usually ask them is, what are you going to miss most? And no matter what the tone of the room has been, when I ask that question, the room often gets a little bit quiet and a little bit weepy. And mm -hmm. right there, what I'm doing is not only giving them a chance to say something and to grieve, uh, but also to just see if nothing else that this is real that this this person is not coming back i i can't remember the exact nature of your question but that's where i wanted to focus in on is that we as pastors and we're often trained well this way we need to have a good theology of the reality of death i mean the bible mm -hmm. you're not three chapters in and the word death first appears right and then you see that it's our final enemy and then you see in revelation 21 the last thing that will die is death. And so there's mm -hmm. death all through the scriptures. And so, and we as pastors often talk about that. We talk about spiritual death often, and we talk about physical death. And that's okay. If we get away from that, from talking about those things, I think we do our people a great disservice because there's, uh, there's, there's hardly anything more certain in life than the fact that you and I are going to die. Um, right. I, I t you know, one of the things, too, I, I did with Jenny Cole is, is I said, if you can afford it, I would like for my funeral to have a casket and I would like for it to be open at the end. And the reason I would is because I want people to see that this will be you one day. And that's a good thing to teach people. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we buried our son uh, almost exactly this day. We buried our son, Kyle, two years ago. And fortunately, his fraternity brothers had a GoFundMe account and it paid for all of our expenses. And so we got a casket and uh, there were all his friends, well, not, not a lot of his friends from high school, a lot of his friends from college, young people. And so we had a pass by at the end of that service. And that was meant for a reason that was meant to say, hey, folks, this will be you one day. Don't make a bad decision like our son did, but also just remember that. I'm not going to hide the reality of death here. And so I think a funeral, that's a, that's the good part of a funeral. And not all will have a casket. Some people will choose cremation, but that's one way that we train our people about the reality of death. Um, so it's not a macabre. It's not a, it's, it, it's different than what most of our lives are like, but you know, if you've not been to a funeral where you've walked by a casket, I, that you you really know it sounds weird you really need to have that as part of your life because you need that reminder yeah um, i remember early on one of the things that you pointed me to and one of the texts i've heard you preach at funerals before is in ecclesiastes chapter 7 where it says it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart which abstractly you know just outside of talking about a funeral context is a really odd passage. Um, even as, a, as I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast right now are like, man, this is really deep and dark, you know, about death. Yeah. But you know, talking about this in moments where you're not experiencing the sorrow of death or the immediacy of someone that you loved having died is another one of those really important things. I mean, we have to talk about death. It's kind of like suffering. The best preaching on suffering is before you suffer, typically, because once you're suffering, you're going to need that really robust theology of suffering that hopefully is there before you're in that moment. And the same thing is true with death. We need to be reminded that this is the end of every person. We need to be reminded that um, mm -hmm. this is uh, a part of life here before we're in that moment. That's one of the ways that we can help shepherd people, both as pastors and as parents and just as loving family members and friends is um, without, you know, without being unnecessarily 
morbid or jolting to people. This this should be a topic of conversation, like Solomon writes, because the the living will lay this to heart and remember that this is the end of everyone. So whether that's going to a funeral, whether that's the way that we preach and teach, obviously what we're talking about right now, I think is it's uh, this kind of regular thinking and talking, planning the funeral ahead of time. Those kinds of things are actually really helpful things, not just really uh, dark and morbid things to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken that passage. I don't know in how many funerals. I, I love the way when he says it's better to go to funerals than to festivals or funerals to parties. Better where there means more profitable. And I will say to people, it doesn't say it's more fun to go to funerals than festivals. No one, you know, I'll say none of us really want to be here. But being here is a good place because the living will lay it to heart. The, there is no one that's going to escape this. And no one really thinks about it that much. Now, I do understand. I've been to a number of funerals that really are just dull and dreary and depressing. I get it when people say, I don't want to be a part of that. So it is our job as pastors to breathe life into a situation where there's death. But even then, it's it's very profitable to be in a place where you're just where people are crying and they're saying, this is horrible. This is awful. It's like, yeah, that's life. You know, it's mm-hmm. Princess Bride theology. Life, <laughs> uh, life is disappointing. Anyone tells you differently is selling something or life is pain. That's what he says. Life is pain. <laughs> Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Uh, that's Ecclesiastes 13, one, if you want to look that up, but yeah. um, that was a joke for the, for the ones that haven't read Ecclesiastes in a while. Yeah. So that, that whole passage, Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4, is a great guide for the importance of end-of-life things. It's a great passage. A lot of meat well, there. Having having been a part of and, and officiated several hundred funerals, I know you've seen some go really well, really Christ-honoring, um, you know, really just a, a word for the family of comfort and celebration and you've seen some that probably didn't go quite as well. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, you know, what are the essential elements? What are the things to remember when you're planning a service? What are the ways that you as a pastor and as officiant can come alongside and be helpful in that process? Yeah, let's let's talk first about the ingredients. Like if you're planning your own service, what are some key things to write down on that sheet of paper? One thing would be what are your favorite Christian songs that you would like sung or played. You know, like for me right now, my top one that I never hear but I love is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Oh, I in love the that diadem song. version. That mm-hmm. was kind of the Dallas Seminary fight song, and we would sing that at the end of every graduation. All hail the power of Jesus. And that it sounds a lot better than that. But that but it's like Jenny, I want people to see because I want people to know that at the end every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But, you know, a lot of people don't choose that song. But what songs are important to you? And you might even say why. I mean, Mm -hmm. for the pastor that's going to preach that sermon, why is How Great Thou Art so important? Why is Great Is Thy Faithfulness? Why is It Is Well? Why is, uh, and there's a lot of contemporary songs too. Why does that mean so much to you? That will help the pastor even shape his message. So I would say two to three songs. That's, That's all you have to choose. And then when you think about eulogies, uh, who would you like to publicly remember you? Who are your good friends that knew you? And what I would often do is, is say, pick from a variety. You might have a coworker. You might have a fellow church member. You might have a neighbor. You might have a brother or sister or a relative that you were real close to. But if if they are still alive when you die, who are two or three people that you think could speak well of you? And, and by the way, a eulogy is not the same thing as an obituary. An obituary is more of a compact history of someone's life. A eulogy is different. A eulogy is just a few snapshots where what we're doing is saying, this is two or three ways this person made an impact on me. So I'm, I'm, telling, story, I'm telling a couple of stories. I'm, I'm not recounting a lot of events. I'm simply painting a portrait. And I'm saying, you know, like, this man was so generous. I got to tell you about this time when he just was very, a uh, very generous person, or this person just always brought light into a room. They were, the, they were the life of the party. What is it about that? And Cole, I remember, you know, talk about uh, interesting services. We had one one time where this man said he was going to share about his relative, and this is a long time ago. And he comes up to the lectern and he's got a stack of paper there. And he, and he literally starts out saying, 
uh, I don't know what his name was. Joe was born in a farm on this date when he was two years old. And I'm, uh, and then he's like, when he was three, when he was seven. And I'm thinking he is going to tell the entire <laughs> life story of this man. And in real time, very exciting. Yeah. But it, so, uh, you know, who, who can you trust to give a synopsis and then when i tell people about eulogies i say think character and impact not history think what was true about them that was good and that made my life different uh, and then i even say if there's multiple speakers and you know each other consult with one another so that you all come from a different angle um, so songs who would i like to speak uh, and that includes a pastor is there a pastor that you would prefer to to conduct your service uh, are there any scriptures that are meaningful to you? Why are they meaningful to you? Uh, you might also want to communicate to your family whether you prefer a casket or cremation. And uh, there's a lot of different thoughts on that from people. I don't have, I, I know what I want, but that may necessarily not, may not necessarily be what someone else wants. I'm not here to tell you which to do there, but you've kind of heard why I prefer a casket. But, um, and then other elements, your family might consider things like, What's huge today is photo slideshows. Uh, almost every service we conduct has a, a photo slideshow. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that if a family's planning a service and they want to do that, if it's short, it can be in the service. If it's long, have it as people are walking in. Because about, for, for the family, they can look at these pictures all day long. But for everyone else there, after about eight minutes, maybe 10 it's just redundant. And I mm -hmm. sat in a service one time that was already long and the slideshow was 25 minutes long. Wow. And it was, that is a long slideshow. So um, now if you're the officiating pastor, so that, that's what I would include. I would, do, I would want to communicate songs, who my friends are that I would like to speak, what pastor I want, what scriptures meant a lot to me. And then you want, might want to communicate how you want to be buried and that kind of thing. Um, uh, did you have any thoughts on that? Was, did you did I forget anything that you can think of that someone might want in their service? No, I think that's a I, I think that's a really good uh, set of points. I think you're probably going to get to this, but one of the things that came to mind while you're talking about that is the difference between the eulogies that friends and family members give, which are like you said, mostly showing and illustrating what that person was like, and then maybe more of a sermon at the funeral or uh, what what the pastor is going to preach. Oftentimes, you get people that have really mixed uh, opinions about this. Both the person, if they plan their funeral in advance, sometimes they'll have a directive on this. But then the family, especially, and I, I found this to be very difficult when you have a family who is not as religious and, but the person who's passed away, you had a relationship maybe, and they are really religious. You know, they would want a gospel sermon at their funeral. How do you navigate what to preach if to preach, you know, really traditionally there was a full fledged sermon. You don't see that much today. It's a yeah. shorter kind of remembrance, homily, comfort, encouragement. How do you navigate that part of the funeral? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, from the from the beginning, what when the outset, what I will say to the family is, I'm going to give a little message at the end, and I usually phrase it that way: a short message, a little message, because it's not going to be a 30 minute sermon. And I tell them it'll be about 10 to 12 minutes max. I want them to understand first of all that we're you're not going to be sitting there squirming for 30 minutes uh, because that's that's what I think what families are afraid of is they've been to services where the pastor treats it almost like a revival meeting and he's really laying into people. And then he's calling for some kind of decision at the end. Uh, mm -hmm. I was at a funeral once where a few, where a pastor shared the gospel and I just didn't think it was a very good presentation because I think it was designed to make people feel really bad about themselves more than good about the grace of Christ. But then he said, is anyone here a pastor? And no one stood and goes, no, no, really stand up. If you are a pastor, stand up. And so I kind of reluctantly stood up and there were two or three others. And he said, now these people will be able to tell you more about what I just said. If you will talk to them after the service, and I thought, <laughs> man, you've just been beating these people over the head. I don't want to be associated with this, but what, but I've, I've never had a family say, Hey, we don't want you talking about Jesus or religious things. 
But I also try to keep in mind that I've been to a number of funerals where the pastor was preachy, not mm-hmm. preaching, but preachy and kind of condescending. And pre- it almost felt like a timeshare sales pitch rather than a gospel presentation. And I always try to remember that what we have is we have good news. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to present this. And you know what? I may be sort of subtle, not vague, but sort of subtle, because one of the things I'm doing is if I can get the gospel out there in whatever way really fits this person's situation of their lives, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit with what he's going to do. And I I want people when they leave to say, you know, uh, I kind of expected something else. I might come back or I might start going to church or I really want to think about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, And we always, unless it's a dignitary or something like that, our goal is an hour or less. And this is true of my son's funeral. It was true of my mother's funeral four months later. I respected that. Uh, There are certain church traditions that have worship services that are two or three hours long on Sunday. They often have funerals that are two or three hours long. In Mm -hmm. most of our traditions in America, our services are one hour. So I want to conform to that and say, let's keep it at an hour. Uh, especially for those who are, they don't want to come into a church. They don't want to come to a funeral. They don't. A lot of people sit in the back because they're afraid it's going to go long and they'll need to leave early. So we, I kind of want to surprise them by grace there and say, I'm going to, and I usually tie the message into something about that person's life. Uh, you know, when you sit down and talk to a family call, you hear, you hear things that you, and then you start thinking of scriptures like, oh, he was a generous person. Oh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich, for your sakes, he became poor. And you mm. can tie that in without really stepping on people's toes, per se, but you're still giving them the gospel. So if you've got a generous person, how is God generous? If you've got a loving person, how is God loving? If you've got a uh, uh, a person that's just real likable, how what what makes God? So, so I often, whether the person we know they were a believer or not, Sometimes all I have to go on is how were they like God? Because we're all made in the image of God. So let me talk about that. And what that does is that lets everyone know I'm not giving you a canned message. I'm not up here with my own agenda. I'm talking about the person we all love here, but I'm going to tie that into the goodness and the grace of God somehow. And you may walk away and not even know I've just done that really, but I have. So I want Mm -hmm. you to walk away feeling the good. I know it seems like Cole, when you, when you gave a message for your grandfather's funeral a couple of years ago, the thing I remember out of that is the the theme of grace was woven through it. Mm-hmm. I still remember that. And it wasn't very long. I think it was less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But when I listened to it, I was just inspired. And I don't mean feel good, pep rally, rah, rah. I, I right. just felt like there God was in that sermon. And you know, I, my role is not to bring people to salvation at a funeral, but it is to be clear about the grace of Christ and let God do whatever work he does. Right. If that makes sense. Well, and I think I, I, I appreciate you saying that uh, because I think that really is the goal of most funeral messages is whether the person is a believer or not. Obviously, funerals are easier when the person was a believer because now mm-hmm. you're preaching their hope and our hope. But regardless, I think the goal is to make the grace of God clear one way or another. Um, And whether that is, hey, here's a character quality that reminds us of God, or here was their hope, or here's something they've written, or, you know, however you get there, I think that's one of the goals is we should, in every funeral, we should extol the grace of God um, through his son, Jesus. And there's tactful ways to do that depending on the circumstances, because the funeral above all is it's about the person who's passed away, but it's really for the family. And so, uh, you know, being pushy or doing your own thing really isn't a service to the family. But um, at the end of the day, you're there as a minister of the Lord to preach about the grace of God. And so doing that I think can be difficult figuring out the best way to do that at a funeral can be difficult, but I think it's a necessary thing. And I'll just add one thing that I've found to be really helpful in preparing for a funeral is if the person who's passed away has a Bible, uh, oftentimes when you meet with the family, they want to look at it, but if you can get it for maybe a day or two in between the family meeting and the funeral, uh, or, you know, even just a portion of a day and just look through it. 
I've found that that is one of the best ways to ensure that the funeral reflects both the person and their heart and the things that they were passionate about. Sometimes they have a favorite verse. A lot of times they'll have notes or highlights and it just really seasons your message and your preparation with that person and where they were spiritually. And so I've had that happen a couple of times and I feel like that's one of the best things you can do if possible, if available. And I guess this is also kind of a little commercial for writing in your Bible uh, because (laughs) that will be really useful to somebody later on. But when that is the case, I found that to be a real gift in preparing both for the pastor and for the family. I I think so too. And I love to do that too. I love to read from their Bible. Of course, and if they're older, it's all King James, but I love to read from that Bible. And you're right. There are, there are little diamonds in people's Bible if they've been writing, which is another assessment of my life. It's like when my kids find my Bibles, are they going to find them empty? Are they going to find notes and highlights and personal thoughts? And and, uh, hopefully they will. And you know, one of the things I do sometimes, Cole, is when I have that person's Bible, uh, I love it when, uh, just sidetrack for a minute, I love it when the person is a veteran and we have the flag presentation. That is such a special moment of Mm -hmm. service. And you know where the, the the person will kneel and present the flag to the next of kin and say, this is from the president of the United States. And they say this real meaningful thing. Well, when a service ends and I've got that person's Bible, the family's standing and the music's playing, and I will go to the next of kin and I will hand the Bible back to them and I will say something like, this is the word of God. Hang on to this and, and relish it and learn and grow from this mm. almost as a presentation of this was your loved one's greatest weapon for the greatest warfare there is. Uh, it just me. And and I don't tell the family I'm going to do that, but it really is a special moment when I do that. And, and, you know, they'll, they'll tear up, but it really does mean a lot. I mean, that's a great word Cole too, about having, if you're a person that studies your Bible, you will hope that one day your children or your grandchildren can have that and they can see what all was important to you. But yeah, if you hand that off to a pastor, there is, you're right, there's gold in the, there's gold in them in our hills is what they used to mm-hmm. say back in my day, back on the ranch. So, Well, I know we've got kind of a, an overview of the service, but what are some of the just general, if you're going to coach anybody that's going to participate in a funeral, or even if you were coaching a person who's been asked to do a funeral, what are some of the big do's and don'ts that you've learned through your experiences? You're talking about for pastors mainly, the, the people or, that will officiate, or is that? Yeah, yeah or, for, I, or, or just for uh, families as they think about planning these services. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, let me first of all go with, with a pastor. I think one of the things I've learned over the years just by accident is the planning meeting with the family is a very important thing. And sometimes these days I don't get to do that as much or as in depth, but when I do, this family may be a family that's grieving and they really don't have anyone that's really listening to them at this time. And so you get together with them and you just say, okay, for the next hour, I just want you to tell me about your loved one. And I've had families, and this was all accidental. At the end of those meetings, I can't tell you how many times I have a family that will say, thank you. That was so helpful. Uh, And I'm writing notes because I'm trying to get material, but I don't use, I might use 10 to 20% of the material they give me but at the end of the day, it's just great for them. It's very therapeutic for them. Um, and so uh, I, that is that I learned almost by accident is one of the most important things I can do. Um, and it also helps the funeral service be very personal. Uh, mm-hmm. I will also uh, I will coach eulogy speakers when I when I find out who's going to speak, I will call them. Uh, we've got a document written by a pastor in Texas that's really fantastic. It's called Seven Tips for a Memorable Eulogy. And he really, mm-hmm. like one of the things I'd say to him is, I know it's going to sound odd, but you need to type it out and read it word for word. And believe me, it works. This works at funerals. What you don't, what I don't want is somebody that says, hey, I'm going to just get up there and speak from the heart. That's code for, I'm just going to wing it which means I might be up there for half an hour with no flight plan at all. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of good coaching and like, it needs to be about maybe three to five minutes written out. Uh, it needs to have an introduction body and conclusion. It needs to take off and paint. And again, show, don't tell, paint us a couple of pictures, tell us a couple of stories that are appropriate for a church setting. I always put that in there. Tell us a couple of stories. <laughs> tell us, get, think of a theme. Um, 
And then as a pastor too, what I want to do and what a pastor, I think what our goal is to, is to present a biblical perspective that both comforts and challenges. We're in the midst of death. So when I'm up there with my little sermonette, what I want to do is I want to comfort people, but I also want to challenge them to think. And they may not even know I'm doing that, but you know that's what Jesus does at Lazarus's tomb. With Mary, he weeps. With Martha, he challenges her to think. Do you mm. believe this, Martha? So that's a Jesus type character. That's not. That's that's totally conformed to who Jesus is. Um, and and uh, the other thing that I would say as a pastor is everyone there is going to be thinking about heaven. But one of the things I've noticed is in the New Testament is that the apostles rarely refer to being with Christ as being in heaven. They almost always refer to it as being with Christ or with the Lord. And let's not forget that. Jesus said, and when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to myself. Mm. That's so important. He, he, he you know, it's a, it's a, it's a marital uh metaphor that we think he's using but think about that that jesus's primary goal is not to take us to a place although he will but it's to first take us to himself definitely and so uh we want people to think we want people to leave knowing that heaven is not just some dream world that we all want to think we want to go to it is being in the presence of the greatest friend you could ever have um one a couple other things too um I want to talk about the grave side, but real clear, I've learned early on to steer clear of the open mic. Uh, and it might work in some occasions. I just talked to a guy the other day and he said, we had open mic at one of my relatives funerals. And this guy got up there and he went on for 30 minutes and we couldn't know, we didn't know how to get him off the platform. Uh, open mic is great at the family lunch or maybe even at the graveside, but it's just mm-hmm. not a great idea for funeral services. At the graveside, that's where I just kind of learned to. The graveside is kind of an interesting thing because no one really knows how to start and end it that I've talked to. But the graveside is very short, um, maybe five minutes. If there's if there's already been a funeral service, graveside is short. In Oklahoma, the way I tell people is the time of the graveside length is determined by the weather. So in Oklahoma, it's either really hot or really cold. So all our right. gravesides are short. So, but. One of the things that I think is important pastorally there is to have a good biblical anthropology, because here's what a lot of Christians believe. That body in there is not grandma. That's not grandpa. Well, Cole, when I buried my son two years ago, his long flowing hair was in that casket. His bright Mm. white teeth were in there. His hands were in there. The shoulders that I hugged. Our bodies are part of who we are. And so I'll always say this body will one day be raised and it will be new and it will be immortal. But mm. but when people say, why do you go to your son's gravesite? He's not there. And I, and I, I want to say, well, part of him is. And um, I know that his soul is with Christ. I know that his spirit is with Christ. But we really have to subtly train our people that the body is a good thing. Psalm 139 speaks about the body. Romans 8 says... We await the redemption of our, what, Cole? Bodies. Bodies. Mm-hmm. bodies. And one day this body's going to be raised up. This cemetery is going to be a disaster area because all these believers here are just going to bolt out of the ground in new bodies that, that can't die again. And so at the graveside, I think it's a great lesson. It's also a great way of saying, if this person's a believer and you're a believer, this is not goodbye, but it seems like it. It's see yeah. you later. That's the Christian message. Mm-hmm. So, um, but some a couple of do's and don'ts that, that you asked about those. One I would think is don't confuse length with quality. Sometimes people say, my loved one was so important. They deserve two hours, three hours. But think depth, not length. Um, if yeah. you are going to a funeral in a church that usually has an hour-long worship service, and I've watched this happen, as soon as it hits an hour, if people have no idea how much longer this is going to go, they start leaving. I was at a funeral last year. I was one of the ones that left in an hour because I needed to go somewhere. I counted 12 people that left at an hour. So uh, you might, uh, unless you're a dignitary, you can have a tremendous service within one hour. There can be a lot said. Well, and I think as you pointed out a little bit earlier, I think some of it is not thinking that the funeral is the only part of this process you know Mm. people say well if we can't do an open mic at the funeral then we got all these stories we want to share well there are actually several 
really helpful venues for this. The family meeting before the funeral is really powerful if you can do that because it allows everybody to talk and share before the funeral. The lunch afterwards, if you can do that, is really powerful. And I always encourage families to spend more than just that time together. Now, sometimes you've got people coming in from out of town that that's their only opportunity. But a lot of times it's really helpful if even after the funeral, you know, the following week, if everybody can get together for dinner, that's when, you know, that's when things get really tough is after the funeral, when people have left town, people are not calling you as much. It seems like you're kind of on your own getting back to um, going back to work and all that. Sometimes a family meal or getting together can be really, really powerful. And so some of these memories and some of the things that you may want to share that you don't have time for within an hour, it's not the only opportunity. Um, it might be for some people, but for the family, I would encourage people to have, you know, several opportunities to share. And even if it's the same stories over and over again, sometimes that's really healing and encouraging just to retell those things. And so maybe just framing it up as this is not the only opportunity to remember this person together uh, makes it easier not to try to pack everything into that one hour slot. That's that's so true. And and there are some deaths that like the death of Kyle, our son, we actually got together with his friends on his birthday uh, mm. after he died. It was in, he died in October. His birthday was in May. We got together on the one year anniversary of his death and did some things. Uh, my wife and my daughter did a great job of planning these out, but that's a lot of what we did. We're like, Hey, Tell us some stories. And every time we see his friends, we hear another story. The other thing a lot of funeral homes do that, that I encourage is they'll put memory cards in the funeral folders. And we'll say as the service begins, hey, for the family, write up a quick story or a memory you have of their loved one and put it in the basket at the back at the end. And then they can make a photo album out of this and they can also have those. But yeah, there's, there's going to be lots of times. And you know, after the service ends, Another reason you want a service to be a modest time is because a lot of people come to funerals and your loved one has actually reconnected people. I say mm -hmm. tongue in cheek that every funeral is a reunion and that's okay. And so when the service ends, you might have a family and friends that stay after for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. That is a huge part of what goes on there is all these people are now reconnecting thanks to your loved one. And you get a chance to go up to the spouse or the parents or the or the whatever family member and say, hey, I've got a story I want to share with you. So that is actually part of the service in a sense. You know, you mm -hmm. have an hour long formal service and then you have an hour of just hanging out. I, I sometimes I'll say to families, just turn out the lights when you leave. You can stay as long as you want. Just shut out the light. I don't mean that literally, but um <laughs> the other the other there's there's one other thing that I think is important too as a pastor. I was I went and it was a there was a child in our town in in Texas that died one year and it was just in the news and I didn't know the child or the family but I was a pastor in that town and I thought I'm going to attend the service and it was at a funeral home I don't think the family had a church home and the chaplain had never met this child I think he was eight or nine years old and there was a point in the service where he said I can guarantee you beyond the shadow of a doubt that this boy is in heaven hmm. and I thought to myself and I thought he was going to follow up with we know that at some point in his life, he trusted Christ. He didn't say any of that, but it was interesting to me that he somehow felt this obligation to comfort the family by, by telling them where their child was. Uh, I get that, but my job as a pastor is not to tell you where your loved one is. It's to talk about heaven. It's to talk about Christ. But if I don't hear any reason why they were in heaven, I am sort of if I were a pastor that had a Hippocratic oath, I would be breaking my Hippocratic oath. I would be mm. I would be violating the very gospel I preach. Now that doesn't mean that I say anything negative, but I think sometimes pastors feel like they need to assure people that this person is in heaven. But if you don't if you don't accompany that by the gospel, you're really doing people a disservice, and you're not doing what you're called to do. So there are ways that you can talk about these things without doing that. Um, uh, and that, I don't want to mislead people for it. You know, you, it, almost everyone coming there, what, regardless of what they believe, they believe that, you know, basically everybody but a few bad people are going to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you've got to have the eternal life of Christ in you. Um, so I just think we as pastors need to be careful about that, that we don't have an obligation to 
presume anything about this person's destiny, but we do have an obligation to comfort the family and, and give the grace of God, if, if that makes sense. Um, so, and I always like to remember at every funeral, there's people there that have no uh, desire at all to come to a church. So when mm. they come, let's surprise them with grace. Let's, let's show them this is a place of kindness and warmth and hope. Uh, I'm not going to talk down to you. I'm not going to beat you up from the pulpit. I'm just going to show you the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, something will ring true in your heart. That's God's job. Or maybe you'll decide, you know, maybe I need to give this church thing a shot. Great. Um, I always try to keep that in mind. I want to be sensitive to people that are just digging in their heels to walk into a church. And they may have really good reasons for that. Um, but I want them to come in and say, wow, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. That was that was a good experience. Even well, I think that's right. a great I think that's a great thing to keep in mind uh, to summarize the whole conversation that we've had is we do believe in a God who raises the dead. We do believe in uh, God who said is close to the brokenhearted. So we live in this world of we can be sad at funerals. I mean, sometimes we act super spiritual, like you said earlier, like it's not sad. It is sad. And we do mourn, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope. And uh, we are people who trust in the God who raises the dead. And every funeral, especially if you're a pastor, if you're someone who's serving in ministry, is an opportunity to display the grace and the resurrecting love of God, even in really difficult times. And maybe we should say especially in really difficult times. So Lance, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and uh, sharing what you've walked through with so many families. And uh, I hope it gives grace to the people that hear it and people that you know, have been in this situation or are going to, because as Ecclesiastes yeah. said, this is the end of us all. Hey, can I, can I share one last story? Sure. You got, I, I, I was going to share this earlier. I didn't get to, I'll tell you about one time I did a funeral for just a, a man I'd never met, but I met his son and daughter and he had lived on a house up on a hill and it just had this beautiful view. It was up uh, a little bit North of where I am right now up on a hill. And he had told his family, he said, I want to die in this house. I mean, this he, it was his dream home. He built it. He's like, he looked over. He said, I want to die in this house. Well, he started to get really sick to where he needed a lot of care. And they kept their promise. They had a caregiver coming over and taking care of him. But you know what he realized in the end? He said, you know what? I'd rather die with you guys around me. And so I will go and live in your house. Mm -hmm. And the what I what I shared at the funeral that day, I love that story, was that that really is what heaven is. It's the presence of someone who loves you deeply. And you can have the nicest place, the nicest house, but if you don't have heaven without the presence of our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ, it's not really heaven at all. And so that's just one real quick example of how we took a story that the family told and merged it into John 14, 1 through mm. 6. I go to mm -hmm. prepare a place for you. I will come and take you to myself. But this man's final desire was, I want the people I love the most to be with me. And wherever they am, they are, that's where I want to be. And it's the same in John 14 and John 17. Jesus says, wherever you are, my loved ones, that's where I want to be. And we say, and Jesus, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.